Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on June 17th of 2012 under the headline, Oregon Lost World's Biggest Log Cabin in Spectacular 1964 Fire. Here we go. When the sun came up on the morning of August 17th, 1964, Oregon was home of the world's largest log cabin. When the sun went down that evening, it wasn't and firefighters were still battling a blaze that had sent flames ten stories into the air and rained burning embers the size of apples down on the neighboring houses' roofs. Quote, It was the granddaddy of all fires in this historic area of Portland, local photographer and graphic designer Grant Keltner later wrote. I don't think I'll ever see anything like it again. The cabin was one of the last two surviving buildings from the 1905 Lewis and Clark Exposition in Portland, and it sat just across the road from Montgomery Park in the northwest section of town. Footnote. Another building that was part of the expo, the National Cash Register Company Exhibition Building, survives to this day. It now houses the St. John's Theater and Pub, part of the McMinimans Group. Thanks to Robert Linneman for calling my attention to this. End of footnote. It was an enormous structure, measuring 206 by 102 feet, just shy of half an acre. A full million board feet of lumber went into it. Portland timber magnate Simon Benson, the fellow who installed the famous Benson Bubbler drinking fountains in downtown Portland, supplied most of the logs for the structure, and they were hand-picked old-growth monsters from Columbia County. There was a colonnade down the middle of the building made of 52 unpeeled six-foot-thick tree trunks, hand-matched like a string of pearls. They had to be handled specially when they were cut and hauled to preserve the bark. After the 1905 exposition, the building was purchased by the city of Portland, which for many years let it decline and decay. It was nearly lost to fire several times when embers fell onto the roof, either from nearby building fires or from wood stove embers, but quick responses by the fire department kept it going. In the 1940s, there was talk of actually demolishing the building, which by then had turned into a safety hazard. The balconies had been built with whole logs, which had warped, making them dangerous, and the whole building was like a banquet hall for wood-destroying organisms like bark beetles and termites. Finally, in the 1950s, the Chamber of Commerce took up a collection to restore the place. By this time, people were starting to realize it was completely irreplaceable. Old-growth timber like what had gone into its construction could still be found in 1952 or so, but it was deeper in the woods and less uniform. Finding 52 matching trees would be prohibitively expensive, if not impossible, to do. And since the logs would have to be trucked to the site rather than just floated up the river... Log handling systems would have to be engineered to prevent the bark from being scarred by logging equipment. By the time of the state's sesquicentennial celebration in 1959, the building was mostly restored to its former glory. 
it now boasted a, quote, priceless collection of logging and lumbering exhibits, both antique and modern, according to an Oregonian report. Also on display was another bit of history, the first sheet of commercially produced Douglas fir plywood ever made, a product of the Autzen family's Portland manufacturing company, produced, believe it or not, in 1904. See, plywood is an earlier invention than you probably thought. All of this went up in flames on what was surely the biggest and most spectacular single building structure fire in Portland history. And until the 1992 burning of the blimp hangar in Tillamook, probably Oregon history as well. On August 17, 1964, the forestry building's caretaker locked up for the night around 5.30 p.m. Within 45 minutes, neighbors were noticing that something was very wrong. Specifically, the place was on fire. And when the fire crews arrived around 6.15, it was clear that nothing short of direct divine intervention was going to put it out. Quote, There was never a hope of saving the building, the Oregonian reported the next day. Nothing was saved from the inside. It turned out that the fire had been started by some bad vintage 1905 electrical wiring. Had it broken out an hour earlier, the caretaker might have seen it in time to raise the alarm and possibly save the building. But that's not what happened. The fire rapidly grew to spectacular proportions, and people flocked to the scene from all over Portland. Grant Kelton was a boy at the time, living about four blocks from the building. Quote, The flames were almost ten stories high. The fire illuminated the sky for miles. The neighborhood was an orange glow, he wrote on his website. The windows on the entire south side of the Montgomery Park building were blown out. The heat was so intense, the windows were popping out. Glass was falling down to the streets below. Ashes the size of large snowflakes fell to the ground within a mile of the structure. It was surreal, an amazing sight. Some of the spectators, the Oregonian reported, were in tears. Afterward, the city pulled itself together as best it could. Citizens and civic leaders got together with timber industry leaders to create the Western Forestry Institute to fill the void. The new institute soon had a new building roughly the same size as the old one in Washington Park, and generations of Northwest Oregon schoolchildrens remember it from field trips to, quote, the Zoo, OMSI, and Forestry Center. That, of course, was before OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, moved to its present location. So the mission of the forestry building lives on. But as for the building itself, it was an artifact of a time that is gone and is not coming back the great heyday of old-growth logging in Oregon. Key sources in this story have included works by Mark Moore, pdxhistory.com, Grant Keltner, worldforestry.org, and James Andrew Long. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatorgan.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. 
Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.